Welcome to Creative Place, the podcast for creative placemakers. I'm your host, Andrea Orlando. Today, we're talking with Katie Dempsey, founder of Core Creative Placemaking in Morristown, New Jersey. You'll learn how she got into the field and why living in a commune and on a meditation ashram informs her unique public engagement style. You'll also learn how she brought together immigrant communities and a stone carver to create enduring public art. How long have you been doing creative placemaking? Um, well, uh, creative placemaking, um, actually the idea, the concept of creative placemaking was introduced to me, I think about six years ago, actually by Leo Vasquez. Um, and I had worked with Leo in other capacities. I was part of the Sustainable New Jersey um, panel for uh, coming up with the arts, uh, you know, initiatives for Sustainable New Jersey. And um, we were in several meetings together. And I remember Leo saying to me at one point, you really should take this program that at, uh, at that time it was at through Rutgers um, because you're already doing creative placemaking, you just don't know it. Mm. So um, that was about six years ago, I believe. And then um, I received my creative placemaking master practitioner certification. Uh, I think it was like the first, the first one maybe in the country that had uh, that certification and uh, went through that process and, and uh, like, Leo said, I was already doing that type of work. I just, it didn't have a name yet. How do you go about explaining it to, to people when you're um, seeking clients and advertising the service that you provide? Right. Um, you know, because my experience has been that um, when you start talking about creative placemaking, you have to do a lot of explaining. Yes. Um, it's, it's not the easiest... It's a simple thing. You're right. Once you start to understand it and do it, but it's not the easiest thing in the world to explain. You're right, which is why we're launching a new website, and I, um, it's really been uh, a challenge to keep editing because I keep showing it to people. I keep showing the content to people uh, that have nothing to do with the kind of work that we do. And they go, oh, it sounds really kind of, it sounds great, but I don't really get it. So um, I think it's important for us as people that are in the field of creative placemaking to uh, realize that we're used to the word, we're used to the concept, we're used to everything that goes into it. But to a lay person, it's very, it's kind of an ethereal, like, I don't get it. So the way that I explain it, I have a couple of different ways of explaining it, but this one sometimes helps. I call it the soft side of urban planning. So I say, you know, an urban planner plans communities, plans um, buildings, plans uh, streetscapes, plans sidewalks, and creative placemakers are the people that do the things that go inside of that structure. We're the people that really um, enliven and make human that type of planning. So I think of myself as the creative 
and soft side of urban planning um, or planning in general. Mm-hmm. And, and sometimes it, uh, people get that. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I always say I think the, the best combination is an urban planner and a creative placemaker mm-hmm. um, together because, you know, with that happening, you have the creative person kind of giving the planner some ideas about, um, like, the actual physical structure of what kinds of spaces could be needed in a community that make it easier for public events to happen. And then also on the other hand, you know, um, the creative placemaker can learn from the urban planner, you know, actually the restrictions or or the challenges um, that they face. So I think it's a, it's a really good combination. Mm. Do most planners know what creative place they're learning yeah (laughs) i think they're learning we're very fortunate uh we have a uh we have a planner here in marstown um bill abramson and he he and i have had a really good long relationship and we work together on certain projects and he's been instrumental in getting things uh you know through uh on at the administrative level with the town um and we just had a really interesting uh, breakfast that Mars Arts sponsored uh, a few weeks ago, which was a really um, great um, group of people. It was um, primarily for real estate developers, the breakfast. Um, so there was a combination of real estate developers, lawyers, real estate lawyers, um, architects, and planners. And the panel was... Um, Tom Werder, who's the executive director of Mars Arts, and he spoke about the economic impact of the arts. And then we had a real estate attorney, and then we had a real estate developer, and we had a, um, a an architect, and then myself at the on the panel. And I think it was fascinating, and I think it was an amazing, worthwhile, um, kind of an educational uh, you know, experience for people in the audience. It was, it was really interesting for me because, you know, I'm used to dealing with communities and artists and, and this was, uh, as we used to say, all suits, people were all wearing suits. Um, it was really good. It was healthy. And I, it was great because a lot of women came up to me afterwards and said, it was great to see a woman on the panel uh, which you don't see a lot of women in the field of real estate development and planning, which was interesting. Hmm. So, um, were you the only woman? On I was the, the only woman on the panel. Yeah, it just, uh, I think, added a nice element to the panel because I was able to speak to the importance of um, remembering when you're developing real estate that the first thing to remember is that. There was a community that existed before you developed that piece of property, and there are people that are existing surrounding that piece of property, and how much easier their lives will be if they remember that. So it was was very, really, I think, a positive experience for everyone. It seems that when you start to talk about art, um, a lot of people get um, intent are intimidated by that. A lot of people don't think of themselves as uh, being able to produce art um, or having any any creativity. Right. 
And uh, I, I wonder um, if you've encountered that as, as well. Yeah, definitely. Um, I, I also, you know, I think I, I try to, um, I try to break it down. I try to, rather than use the word art, um, I use the word uh, creative a lot mm. because sometimes the word art can alienate people right away. Um, so rather than say, you know, we're, we're excited to have so many artists in the room, um, I always say I'm excited to have so many creative minds in the room or so many creative people because I think most people can identify with being creative, maybe not being an artist. I, I think everybody uh, has the capacity to be creative or everybody is creative. They just haven't identified exactly. how they're being creative. Exactly. You know, yeah. when I tell people, um, you know, I, I know in my own family, people will say, oh, I'm not creative. And I'll, well, you can bake you make amazing um, dinners or you entertain beautifully or you, um, you know, make your kids Halloween costumes or, you know, things that people just don't, or you play the guitar, people don't think, you know, or you can sing or you can dance or, um, you know, sometimes people just, and look at, plan I mean, it, urban planners, you have to be creative and even lawyers, um, when you think about it, somebody just said to me the other day, they think about lawyers as um, kind of frustrated actors. Actually, the woman who just walked by before, she's a um, financial coach, and she works with attorneys, and she was saying attorneys are really actors. Sometimes they get into the field because they know they can't make a living acting. Um, so, you know, pretty much every every field, every sector in life, um, if, you, if you drill down enough, you'll find that there's at the core some sort of creative process that attracted that person to that job or that career. Yeah, yeah, and it's probably what keeps them going in it too. Yeah, yeah. I mean look at, you know, I see a lot of um, people that are scientists or super creative or, uh, I mean, a lot of physicians um, are really creative people because I think in order to be really good at your job, no matter what it is, um, you have to be creative. I mean, you can be, I mean, I know this cause I've had a lot of experience with, um, physicians and the really super good, talented, like gifted physicians are creative mm -hmm. because it's more than just memorizing anatomy it's if you really are a, an amazing, say, surgeon, you have to think outside the box. So you, um, your life didn't follow a typical path, did it? <laughs> yeah. Uh, you, what, ha um, where did you go from high school? Well, that was my problem. I went to Woodstock and, um, I, no, I'm kidding. Can't, you know, I'm only kidding. It's half kidding, but I think, um, I was always extremely um, curious and I always had something inside of me that was just sort of bursting to get away from the norm. Um, so I couldn't wait to get out of 
high school. I couldn't wait to get away from the structure of what everyone else was doing because I didn't really know what I wanted to do and I didn't know, I didn't have a lot of direction, but the only thing that I used to say to myself, I don't want to be like everybody else. I don't know where that came from. I really don't. Um, but I knew that I grew up in the suburbs and there was something inside of me that just told me, I don't, this is not what I want. I don't want to marry my high school sweetheart. At that time, I never wanted to get married or have children. I just wanted to um, sort of explore the world and I wanted to put myself out there and find new and different ways of looking at life and living life and meet people that I ordinarily wouldn't have met if I had just gone to college right after high school. I just had a very strong pull to put myself out into the world and experience life on my own. Yeah. And, and did that, um, (laughs) yeah, how'd that uh, work for you? (laughs) No, no. Um, well, um, you told me earlier that (laughs) you joined a commune. Yes. Um, well, I did. And, um, I think, you know, once, uh, once I started traveling around when I was younger, um, I noticed that a lot of the, uh, young people at the time that were living in communes and, you know, moving into, uh, big houses together. And so it was like such a, an amazing time because people were trying to sort of start a new type of culture. Um, and rebelling, you know, there was a lot of things to rebel about. Uh, that well, well, there certainly are now as well. Um, at the time, what were those? Well, things? you know, the Vietnam War. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there was people that were our friends that were being drafted into war. People weren't signing up; they were being drafted. Um, there were uh, a lot of assassinations. Martin Luther King, Kennedys. Um, I mean, it was a really tumultuous time. Uh, it was scary because it was, you know, there was the time when everything just, you know, people always think, oh, I wish it was like the 50s. Um, but actually, which seemed like kind of a, um, a time of like things seemed more structured and, and less uh, scary. But once, you know, the war happened and once, people started seeing what happened to their friends. Some of their, you know, my friends never came home from war or if they did come home, they were very damaged and never the same. Um, and also the assassinations that were happening, um, that was the time in this country where that was all very new. So students were rebelling. Um, so I think what I know for myself was, um, I was trying to find a place where I fit in and um, I ended up, you know, moving into like a commune situation. And even that at some point, like I was always trying to do the creative placemaking type of let's put on a show. And a lot of people weren't interested in not literally put on a show or let's, you know, all get together and have dinner at six o'clock. And I was not maybe met with the most enthusiastic response that I had hoped for. So um, I became more intentional about the kind of places I wanted to live or uh, what I wanted to pursue and ended up um, actually meeting a guru um, 
when I was quite young and ended up following a guru and moving into a meditation ashram for several years. Wow. Where, where was that? Um, I met um, the guru that I followed in uh, Colorado, Montrose, Colorado. And, um, you know, it was a journey and um, spent a lot of years sort of being very introspective and um, not even being a part so much of the pop, of pop culture. It's like uh, my husband laughs at me because there's like a, a several year uh, like blank of like music or movies or because I really didn't do any. I didn't have a tell. I didn't watch television. Um, I was really more into an inner journey of meditation and um, discovering more about my inner self more than um, my outer self. And how, how long did you live in an ashram? Um, let me see. Well, I was living there probably about four years. And um, yeah, four years, wow. five years. It was, it was sort of, you know, a lot of people were in college and I felt like that was my college. I was with a community of people that were very like-minded and we were um, very organized. And, uh, you know, when, you, when you're living in a house with 16, 17 people, um, if it's not going to be very chaotic, if it's not total chaos, you have to really set up a, sort of a system to keep things running smoothly. And um, I think it taught me some of the most valuable lessons in my life about discipline, uh, how to get along with people, and um, also stripping away some of the things that sort of make younger people follow um, what's popular. Um, because back then when I was, it, it's popular now. I mean, you know, you go into Starbucks and you order a chai tea. I mean, I learned how to make chai tea from an Indian Mahatma you know, uh, didn't come out of a can. <laughs> it didn't come out of a box. Yeah. But, um, you know, I learned a lot of valuable lessons about um, inner peace and um, the value of knowing yourself and the value of having a spiritual center and a spiritual connection. Um, and it's helped me. It helped me tremendously through my life, uh, through really good times and also very difficult hard times can you think of a, a time when when that's helped you oh yeah that, that you that you're okay with talking about yeah um well you know when I was um I, I lost my mom when I was pretty young uh, she was uh very sick when I was in my very early 20s I think that helped me a lot uh having kind of like an inner place to go to going through that um, you know, I also, um, had some, uh, very, uh, difficult times with my child when he was, uh, had a lot of medical problems. Uh, I think it gave me a spiritual, or it doesn't even have to be called a spiritual center. It's just a place to go to within yourself that holds you, um, holds you, holds you in a, in a space where you don't fall apart. So um, I think meditation for me was one of the greatest lessons I could have learned at a very young age. Uh, it helped me through childbirth for sure, uh, natural childbirth. I didn't have any medicine or drugs, and 
um, I just, I knew how to meditate, you know, and I've been through physical pain myself, like a surgery or um, in every situation until this day, and it's been so many years, um, before I do something that is stressful or I want to make sure I do a good job, I always take time and uh, meditate for a few minutes. You know, one of the interesting things about um, getting older, I feel, is that you have so many experiences that you can bring to bear uh, to the work that you're currently doing. And a lot of it you don't even realize. Right. Uh, you know, that experiences that you had so long ago are, are helping you now. Right. Yeah. But I imagine since you are so in touch, you know, with your inner um, self, I wonder if you have been able to understand how learning how to meditate when you were very young is informing the work that you're doing now. I, yeah, I, I, I do think that, um, I mean, you know, it hasn't, hasn't just been a straight path to like, everything's great. Um, however, I, I do feel one of the things that, um, you know, it may have been just who I am as a human being, but uh, learning how to meditate and, and have that time to really be so introspective, I think has given me a, a really um, deep understanding of human beings and the human experience. And I think that a lot of my success has come from the empathy and compassion that I've developed for myself and just understanding the human experience. And I think that's maybe what sets me apart sometimes for from others that may be doing similar type of work is that I really have a lot of, first of all, huge respect for human beings as a whole, but I also um, have a deep understanding of what it is to be human. Um, and I try to um, take that into consideration when I'm working with people. I can, you know, I can be with things that are uncomfortable, which I think if you want to do really good creative placemaking, it's got to get a little bit ugly sometimes. And I think a lot of people are afraid of that. Um, and I'm really not. I'm not afraid of things getting uncomfortable because part of learning how to meditate is sitting with those uncomfortable feelings and not um, trying to cover them up or ignore them or use a vice to hide them or, you know, just be superficial. It's like I learned how to sit with very uncomfortable feelings. So I think if I'm in a room with people and they disagree with something, I sort of know, you know, it's almost like maybe the meditation taught me how to be sort of the peacemaker and to guide people into understanding their commonness rather and their common um, interests rather than, but it's good for people to be able to express in a room their differences and have it be a safe place and, and be able to hold that, hold those feelings and have respect. And I always start a group um, session with a community by saying, this is a place of respect and we're going to respect each other. And there is no such thing in this room 
as um, acting out of a place that will not be uh, bring positive results. So please express your feelings, but know that you're in safe and, and a place where the most important thing here is respecting one another, no matter how much you disagree. So, you know, maybe I should have been a politician. <laughs> <laughs> People say that to me sometimes. So you should run for office. And I'm like, oh, no. Mm-hmm. Maybe you should have been. Uh, maybe you should have been, but um, I think the world needs more creative placemakers. <laughs> so I think you're in the exact right place. Yeah, uh, yeah I feel like I am too. It's interesting because um, where I am in my life right now, I feel is a culmination of every experience I've ever had, and in a very positive. It's taken every experience, positive, negative, and uh, I think this is when you know you're kind of on to the right. Thing as a as a person is it's like I never felt so strongly as I do now that every single experience that I have had in my life has brought me to where I am and made me much better at what I do mm-hmm. yeah. so it's a good feeling yeah yeah um did you you know so you said that you got into creative placemaking because um you know you met uh, Leo Vasquez, um, was there ever a point when when you uh, weren't sure about you know taking taking that direction or uh, no. what, it was an easy yeah it was there was never uh, I never no there was you know why because and I I'm not trying to I because I felt like I was I didn't I felt like I was good at it and um, it was almost like a relief for me because I. You know, I never had like a strong sense of like, I'm going to be this or do this, or I'm going to be a lawyer, or I'm going to be a doctor, or I'm going to be a, a planner, or I'm going to be, I was always good at a lot of different things. Um, and I always had a very short attention span. So I had to be um, always multitask. that's, I'm good at multitasking. So when the concept was presented to me, did you know that what you do, there's a name for it? It was almost like, getting a diagnosis of an illness that you've had your whole life and you're like there's something wrong with me but I don't know what it is and then somebody says well you know what's wrong with you you have in this place (laughs) creative placemaking (laughs) and then you can say I I've had that experience (laughs) actually of finally um having having a name for for something that I've been experiencing and it's uh it's always it's a relief right it's a feeling of relief like yes. oh okay yeah and That's... i feel like leo did that for me you know i think leo was like a, a person who had a tremendous impact in my life even at an older age and and uh, i really have great gratitude to leo for um sort of bringing me along to this path and and he he really taught me that sometimes Maybe the things that I thought of as, um, you know, uh, not negative, but, you know, like the the uh, idea of always needing something new to do and always kind of having to think up these ideas and projects was something that the community needed. And Leo was the one who really said to me, whether you like it or not, Katie, you're a leader. And it was hard for me to hear at first because I didn't maybe 100% believe it. But I think I started to listen and and understand that leader doesn't mean ego. 
if you're leading in the right way, it's just sort of getting back to the meditation. It's almost putting your own, um, your own will aside and understanding that there's a greater good to be had and there's a greater vision that is much bigger than you. And um, I think when you do good creative placemaking, you have to have an element of, of being a leader, but also being able to listen to what the community is saying and what they want. It may not be what you think, but you have to be able to step aside and be the facilitator. I, I think there's, you know, the word leader really is similar to facilitating. And uh, I, I guess I'd like to think of myself more as a facilitator of um, community um, community vision. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, or is there a, a project that you're particularly proud of? Yes. Um, I think for me, the um, Totem Project, which uh, I know you've seen the film, uh, which was a, a project here in Marstown, which was the result of um, the Marstown Percent for Art uh, program. It's a uh, program that uh, developers in the redevelopment zone are required to give um, 1% up to $100,000 to public art. Uh, the totem project was a result of that. And the percent for art program was actually, I was very involved in that. Uh, I think it was, God, eight, nine years ago. I remember going and presenting it to the mayor and talking to the town plant, new town planner who had just started about the idea. And so to see that actually happen and then to be able to um, manage the public art actually taking place and, um, you know, being the facilitator in uh, this beautiful project, which um, was in the Speedwell Avenue area of Marstown, which was always for many, many years, the home to immigrant populations for over a hundred years. Oh, wow. Yeah. So um, I always felt very strongly that there needed to be some sort of representation or some sort of acknowledgement of the deep history of immigrants in that area. And the project sort of took formation from that idea. And the artist that was chosen was a stone carver, which I felt um, was very appropriate because what what was going to be done needed to be um, something that was very strong and symbolic. And I felt how perfect for it to be in stone because that's something that's not going to go away. So the process was um, very deep, heavy community engagement, working with the artist and people from the community, from different cultures, um, kind of finding out what kind of things they wanted to see carved on these two beautiful totems. So the community engagement process was um, really exciting for me. The artist was fantastic, Gabrielle Hilt Cohen, who was a stone carver. Um, and the end result are these two totems in Marstown that have um, primarily flora and fauna carved that um, represents different cultures from around the world that have settled in that community. So I must say, uh, personally, I think that's probably, and, and I was very um, 
fortunate working for Mars Arts at the time that I was able to uh, have a budget uh, to hire a, a documentary filmmaker at the very beginning and also a young, very talented um, musician, composer, who actually composed an original soundtrack for that film. So, um, oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. so, uh, you know, one of my great passions has always been photography and document, I used to do documentary photography as job. Um, so this was sort of bringing back my own creative um, passion, which is documentary film. And uh, this is an amazing, uh, Christian Schuler did the uh, documentary film. He did a beautiful job. And Aidan McCoy did the um, soundtrack for the film. So being able to have this project manifest and being able to project manage actually a documentary film uh, was one of the most exciting things. And the night of that unveiling, I can't even tell you, um, it was like the culmination of a lot of really exciting things for me, honoring not just immigrants, but my own family, as uh, my family is, uh, you know, my grandparents were Irish immigrants who actually came to the area from Ireland. So um, I have a, a deep respect for that experience, and I felt honored to be a part of the project. Uh, who came up with the idea for um, totems, and did, does that did that represent something? Yeah, well, I think um, I can't remember exactly. Uh, I think the artist we knew we were going to do some sort of a sculpture, and I think the artist came up with the idea of you know totems and you know traditionally how totems have such a strong history in every culture uh, of symbolizing important strengths in 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 the community so um, the fact that there are these totems uh, carved out of stone that are there to honor the immigrant populations that have settled in that area for the past hundred years they're not going anywhere, those stone sculptures, um, was pretty powerful. Yeah, yeah. When, when I think of um, a totem created to represent different immigrant communities, I think of how it's really how, what immigrants add to a place over time. Yes. Right? So you have one wave of immigration from one part of the world and it changes the place, and then the next wave comes and builds on on what was there. So yes. they're not coming to something; they're not coming to avoid. They're coming to a foundation of something. Yes, and building on top. You know, it's yeah. That's yeah. a good way of putting it. That's a. It's really a, a great idea. What you, that you know, um, one one culture building on the next. And I think, um, you know, when people really need to remember, um, not to get too political, <laughs> that... Oh, go ahead. Get political. <laughs> Actually, the unveiling of that, um, that totem happened, I think, the day after the election. And uh, which it, election? Um, Trump. 
Oh, the 2016 presidential election. I think it was the day after the unveiling, and it was such an appropriate... uh, It was like, it was a very healing kind of thing for a lot of people to see that this particular community honors our immigrants. And, And I have to give credit to Morristown and the mayor of Morristown because he is very committed to um, being rather outspoken about his um, commitment to honoring immigrants. And uh, it was an important moment in the community's uh, history, I think, uh, you know, doing an actually external uh, representation of, of that community. Uh, I'm sure not everybody in the community feels the same way, but um, the majority, I think, it's, it's an open open community and I think people really do care and uh, want to be sensitive to the um, immigrant experience. Mm. And uh, aside from the docu- documentary film, which was beautiful, by the way, and actually I found, by the way, I found the soundtrack uh, moving too. Ah, yeah. It, it, yeah. Aiden it, is amazing. Yeah. I, um, I, I wonder, it, did you create an archive of... Um, the thought and the process that went into each panel. Um, we, you know, a little bit in the film, you see it, um, but I don't really. Ha- that's the. I mean, I felt it was important to capture it on in a documentary. That was the, probably the most. Um, I felt why it was so important to take the time and the effort to to actually film the process. Um, we have some archives of the sketches and things like that that people came up with. But it was also, um, you know, the community engagement process for the actual carvings was, again, like everything in life, a real process because it was hard for people to understand um, what carving was like. Because when we first started, people wanted flags and from their, you know, People wanted things that, and, and it took, I call it, um, I started calling it reverse engagement. So, um, you know, how we're taught to do community engagement as creative placemakers by bringing the community together. Well, I discovered a, a really kind of great, and, and I'm telling this to people who um, may be in the field, um, once the artist was in the studio, and we were very fortunate um, Drew University, uh, where Gabrielle, the artist, actually works, um, volunteered the art studio there to let her do uh, the carving in their art studio there. So we were able to bring people to the studio to see her carving. Um, so my my reverse engagement was actually bringing people from the community, bringing people from the community in my car over to Drew University and bringing them into the studio to experience what carving was like and also to get a better idea of the imagery they were um, going to choose and um, how maybe a flag would not be the most appropriate uh, thing to put. And they, I think it really helped people uh, visualize and get a sense of... Um, how the images of flora and fauna are more universal possibly than a flag. Mm. So um, 
and my, my I think the reverse engagement was very uh, you know successful yeah I I love that bringing people to an artist to see the artist's process and and understand it better yeah I think it influenced the community a lot I think it it, it definitely um, influenced their decisions of what they wanted to see I wonder if anyone was inspired to uh, that was I guess two years ago yeah two years ago so I wonder if anyone was inspired to learn stone carving well it was interesting because um, one woman in particular who came from the community to see um, she had been an art student in years before and actually Gabrielle was so generous in um, letting people traipse with the studio by the way which isn't easy especially when you're doing stone carving because it's a really very labor intensive and it's hard you have to be strong to be a stone carver you know it's not like I'm not diminishing painting but when you're chiseling stone um, and you're having and I used to poor poor Gabrielle I used to traipse all these people through the studio while she was doing it but she was so generous she would say to people here why don't you try it Oh, wow. And I remember, you know, some of the people were like, oh, my God, like, no. But there was a couple of people that was that were uh, like, oh, I in college, I I did some stone carving or I did sculpture. So I think it really um, was a really nice opportunity for some of those involved to kind of take them back to times when they were creative and hopefully inspire them. To- and, you know, I I find that. Um it always helps to know the story behind, you know, anything that you're looking at, but especially art. Exactly. Uh, Yeah. And, um, yeah. So I, I wonder if how people, or if people have the opportunity to, um, learn how the sculptures came about and the idea behind them and the thought that went to them and even, you know, if they get an opportunity to find out what each tile represents. Yes. I think that's probably going to be the next phase of the project. Like, you know, I, I no longer work for Mars Arts, um, but I'm sure they're continuing to um, sort of add on to the project. And, you know, it's not a hundred, nothing is, it's not finished. Um, I think one of the most uh, important things uh, about that project were, and I, th- I think I said this at the end of the film, was this is just the beginning. This was a process of creating a piece of art, but actually now that the art is there, that's not by any means the end. It's just the beginning because now we have created a space and that space now is being programmed um, with things from the community uh, that happened during the summer. So there's music and poetry and the community, it's a place for the community that comes to, they come together and and celebrate in that space now. So um, I think that was probably the end result for me was understanding now once the project management part was over as far as the installation now it's the community now 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 it's the time for the community to understand now this is their space they own this space 
and and you know I think the community has taken ownership and uh, there's great things that are happening and Mars Arts continues to program things happening there so what kinds of um, things happen there well there's um, music um, musicians come I remember the first program we had which was really great I think the first or second was a um, a, a poet from the community um, who read his poetry all in Spanish and um, most of the music was Spanish uh, and the totems are right next to a senior uh, low-income senior housing uh, building and it was so wonderful to see people coming out of the senior housing unit in their wheelchairs and their walkers and some of the people that were there who really speak, you know, uh, Spanish is their first language, um, sitting around and joining in the songs. And, um, you know, we, we try to focus on making the programming authentic to what the community is now, what the community looks like. Mm-hmm. So it's exciting. Yeah. And what, what does the community look like? You, you mentioned, uh, Spanish speakers. Yes. And, uh, where do they come from? Well, you know, it's interesting because uh, the, the totems are right at the foot of the community garden um, in Marstown. It's Grow It Green, has a beautiful community garden. So the totem in this area is right in front of a community garden. Uh, the community itself is, is like a melting pot for people from all over, um, many Spanish-speaking countries, but it's not just one um, community. It's Colombian, Venezuelan, uh, people from Africa, South Africa. There's, it's such a melting pot of people um, in that uh, er few area, a uh, few blocks. Um, and it's interesting because it's always been like that. It used to be the Irish immigrants, then it was Italian, then it was primarily African-American community. And now it's uh, people from all over different cultures um, settling in that area. So um, it's, and then of course now across the street, we have these two brand new giant uh, redevelopment projects, which are these high-end condos. So it's quite a contrast. Interesting. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I, I look forward to hearing about the next phase of, of the project. And, yes, yes. Yeah. So right now, um, there's several other projects in the works uh, that are part of the Percent for Art uh, program in Marstown. So there'll be two new uh, public art projects that will probably be um, uh, installed by the summer of 2020, and they're going to be fantastic. Are you involved with those? Yes, I am. I'm very fortunate. Um, that I've been hired as a consultant by Mars Arts to help manage the process of the Percent for Art program uh, as um, core creative placemaking. Yeah, fantastic. Well, yeah. congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. It's exciting. And I've also been very fortunate that um, one of my biggest clients is Mayo Performing Arts Center here in Marstown, which is the premier arts organiza performing arts organization. Um, and I am the um, director of community engagement there now for the past year and also working to um, increase the, um, 
diversity in both the audience and also staff and, and bo- staff and board. So um, it's been it's it's an honor really working so deeply connected to um, engagement in the community. Oh, I I look forward <laughs> to finding out what's going to happen next summer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll I... have to hopefully. Um, Maybe I better get uh, Christian, uh, the documentary photographer, back because I found that it's so interesting to actually watch the process of something happen rather than just have a photograph of it done. Um, so there's going to be two big public art projects that will be, um, you know, re- as the result of the developers giving this $100,000 to the uh, public art fund. So Marstown is going to be place, a destination for really excellent world-class public art. You've been listening to Creative Place, the podcast of the National Consortium for Creative Placemaking. If you like this or have suggestions, tweet at us at cpcommunities or write to me at andrea at cpcommunities.org. Visit our website for photos and more information. Bye for now.